An Englishman in the Balkans podcast with David Bailey. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. And if you're a first time listener, I'm David Bailey, an Englishman in the Balkans. I've lived in the northwest of Bosnia and Herzegovina for over 20 years. This podcast is all about telling stories from this small, heart-shaped, but often misunderstood country in the Western Balkans. In this episode, I'm sat in the reception area of the Marriott Hotel in downtown Banja Luka. Why? Because at the moment, the first ATP 250 tennis tournament is underway in Banja Luka. This tournament is also called the Serbska Open, as Banja Luka is in the entity of Republika Serbska. I've managed to get some time to talk to David Samuel, the coach of British player Liam Brodie, who's taking part in the tournament. I find out about tournament life, how a coach motivates and supports his player, and the importance of mindset, and much, much more. An Englishman in the Balkans podcast with David Bailey. It's a rainy day in Banja Luka, in the centre of Banja Luka. It's a Tuesday and I don't know whether officially this is the second or the third day of the ATP Open here. They call it the Serbska Open. It's the first major tennis competition that has been held in the city. Now, I know that some people will say there's been a challenger event here since 2003. So, you know, there's been tennis here for over 20 years, maybe. But this is a significant step forward for the city. Trying to speak to any player this week is a nigh-on impossibility. And especially, like me, an Englishman in the Balkans, trying to find fellow Brits is equally difficult. But a tennis player has no real success unless the coach, the trainer, the person that gets you to where you want to be, you know, unless you have one of those people, I don't think you're going to go anywhere. And we're going to find out a little bit about that now. I'm joined by David Samuel, who is the coach for... Liam Brody, and I just want to find out what it's like coming to Banja Luka in Bosnia-Herzegovina for two reasons. One, most people couldn't find Bosnia-Herzegovina on the map, and even if they did, I don't think they would think necessarily about Banja Luka. David, I know this sounds like a stupid question. It's not meant to be a stupid question. Who is David Samuel? David Samuel is a tennis coach. Uh, I've been in tennis all my life. I was a player. I played college tennis in America. I grew up in South Africa and was one of their top juniors before going to America. And then in my travels as a player, I met my wife, who was English, and uh, ended up settling in Britain and have worked with several of the best British players over the last 30 years. And I've also worked with some players from other countries, Marcus Daniel recently, who won a bronze medal at the Olympics and has been as high as 34 in the world in doubles. And Wes Moody, who won Wimbledon doubles and uh, won the Tokyo Tour event. So there's a lot of players on my CV. And I'm here now with Liam, who I've been with for almost nine years. So, you know, the journey with tennis players is long. And, you know, I would say that I've probably coached less tennis players than some coaches because I tend to stay with players pretty much throughout their career or until they have decided that they no longer sort of want to progress 
So, yeah, it's been a, a long and very interesting and a good career. And I've also always been very interested in mindset, which is such a big part of winning and done a lot of courses and psychology courses and diplomas in mindset. And I now teach mindset to people in different sports and uh, even have a few business clients because mindset is mindset no matter what you're doing. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you would like to support us and the production of future episodes, then please consider maybe buying us a coffee. The link to do that is in the show notes for this podcast. You said about the journey being long, and it's also varied. I'm a tennis novice, and when people say tennis to me, I think of big competitions in Dubai, in the United States, and of course, being British, Wimbledon as well. Today, we're sat in Banja Luka. Most people wouldn't know where Bosnia and Herzegovina is on the world map anyway. And then if you said Banja Luka, well, they're right off the park. Is that journey the same as far as locations are concerned, whether it be Munich or Banja Luka? Are some more prepared than others? I'm assuming, and you should never assume, but I'm assuming that this is your first time here. It's definitely my first time in Banja Luka, but I've traveled the Balkan area quite a lot, substantially. I've been to many places. I have a very good friend in Belgrade, uh, Igor Tomasevic, who's a very good coach as well. So I've spent quite a bit of time in Belgrade. I've also been to Slovenia and obviously uh, Croatia many times. And there's a lot of tennis actually in the Balkan areas, uh, not only for uh, pro players, but for ITF, you know, under 18 juniors. You know, I've been here supporting some players in those events and at the lower pro events as well. In terms of location, this was a little tough to get to. We came to Zagreb, but the tournament hospitality has been amazing. They picked us up from the tournament. It's very rare for a tournament to pick you up and, you know, for a two and a half hour drive, but they've done that. And yeah, it's uh, so far, I've been very, very impressed with the, the organization, the friendliness. And yeah, I mean, really and truthfully, doing everything to make our jobs easy and also the stay as enjoyable as possible. I feel very comfortable in the Balkans. I think the people are friendly. They're also quite blunt, which I, which I like. Uh, you know, some people don't like it, but I, I like it when people just speak their minds. And I appreciate that. So yeah, altogether, very, uh, a very good experience. When you have top flight athletes, tennis players, for example like Liam, and you're training them. I'm assuming, again, that there are lots of things that come into play, especially when it comes to dietary requirements. Novak Djokovic said on his uh, opening press conference that he's back in Ban- you know, he's back in Banja Luka. He's not a meat eater, but this city is famous for meat, meat, and more meat. In fact, it's death by meat. When you come to countries like this, do you find that it's a, a hurdle for you to ensure that you know, your players, the people that you're responsible for can get the diet that they require or is it just a case of, well, you're in Banja Luka, eat your up till you burst? No, I mean, I think that, you know, the, especially a tournament at this level, they're very sophisticated. Obviously, uh, Novak's brother is a tournament director. The food that they're putting out there for the players is, you know, the right stuff. And yeah, you can easily be a vegetarian or or whatever you want to be and get what you need. So that in itself is not an issue. 
you know, if you're a meat eater, obviously it's a great place to come to. But yes, uh, you know, those type of requirements. I mean, I think that's the the advantage of having, you know, people kind of in tennis who are running this tournament. They know what players need and therefore those details are taken care of. When somebody like yourself or Liam comes to a place like Banyaluka, which he may or may not, you or may, may or may not ever come back to, and I know there's a lot of pressure. They are top form athletes. Do you get any opportunity at all in the short time you're here to see anything of the location that you visit? We get very small windows. I mean, while you're in the tournament, it's not really that possible. We'll usually try and find a good coffee shop for sure because that's a, a good place to go and have downtime and even to talk about matches upcoming or to dissect a match in a nice comfortable setting but in terms of seeing a lot of the city you really kind of have to make an effort uh, once the tournament is over to you know maybe before flight or something like that have a few hours to go and, and, and look at things so I usually go on TripAdvisor and sort of see the top 10 things to see in the city and then choose the one or two that really interest me and, and try and get to see those. Going to put you on the spot here. Have you found anywhere in Banyaluka that you specifically would like to see before you leave? Not yet because he's still in the tournament, so I haven't really looked at that yet. But once the tournament's over for him and I know our flight arrangements, then, uh, then I'll have a look. We're in the Hotel Marriott today and I think that the weather has just cleared slightly. We went, Tamara and I, to get our tickets to get in to see today and they said, no, 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 there's rain at the moment, nothing nothing happening check websites and everything and I suddenly started to feel and I shouldn't I know but I started to feel a lot of frustration as a coach with a top flight athlete in a competition like this how do you cope with things such as rain and I noticed by watching television yesterday that rain had a, a massive impact here on the Serbska Open yes I mean obviously rain is part of the sport uh, when you're playing outdoors it can get frustrating I think the most difficult thing is timing you know when you warm up and when you eat because the situation can be delayed and delayed and you don't want to be warming up three four five times before you play I mean sometimes you have to but it, it is a challenge. But I think, again, players that have reached this level have been through all of this frustration before and are pretty relaxed about it. You know, it's not ideal. But one thing I'd say is, you know, luckily with the rain and then when it clears up, we haven't had a huge amount of wind because when you have rainy conditions and a lot of wind, then it becomes very, very difficult to play good tennis as well. And I think for spectators as well, it, it takes something away from the sport when players are really struggling to play good tennis. And I hope, you know, as the week goes on, it does clear a bit because, you know, it's a fantastic venue and I think uh, in the sunshine it would look pretty good and uh, it would, you know, help the players uh, in terms of, you know, the quality that they can put out there. When I look through my television screen and I very rarely get the opportunity to even come near a tournament like this in real life, I see sometimes players getting frustrated whether that's with the weather or the way the game is going and that's totally understandable because they're out there you know like on a one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -two. and I take time to look when the camera allows me to where the coaches are and I've always seen coaches sitting there ice cold what does a coach feel about this and nine times out of ten there's just like no facial expression and I'm thinking oh my god these guys have just got to be so disciplined David what is it like when you're sat there watching your player and you can see things going, not necessarily right, but things going wrong, it must be very disciplined for you just to sit there and just not show him any emotion at all. Well, I mean, 
that's true. I mean, the, the last thing a player wants to see if they're very frustrated, you know, is you pulling your own hair out and, you know, giving them an indication that things are going badly. So you want to be a reassuring presence, you know, on the sideline and an encouraging presence. Coaching is now allowed in tennis, so when the player's on your side of the court, you can talk to them. And I think this is, you know, a fantastic movement forward. I've been an ATP coach for a long time, and for the last 10 years, the coaching committee, of which I've now been elected to, have been fighting for this change because it kind of goes on anyway, and this just formalizes it and allows you and the player to have a little bit of discussion And I think, you know, that is helpful. I would say, though, under real big pressure, the experience of the coach to know what to say when and the timing is incredibly important because you can really mess up a person's focus if you say something that totally throws them or you say something that uh, annoys them. So the focus that they have to bring all the time is immense. And, you know, with experience you and knowing your player really well, you can pick the right moments and say the right things. And that's a learning experience. And I'd say that, uh, you know, Liam and I have several discussions about what the best way to put a certain message across to him is, you know, during a match. It's easy when you're sitting you know, around a t table at a coffee shop, you know, to say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this in the moment. But, you know, the player really has to think about how does he want to hear the message as well and that's a new dimension to tennis which i really like and i think it is helpful for the player because at least you're sitting there and don't feel totally helpless if you know something can really help them at least now you can give it to them you know when you watch liam for example playing do you get these flashbacks about when you used to play and say oh i wish you know if i was in his situation i would do this and i would do that it's too long ago <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also uh, i have to say this that the level of tennis from when i played in you know in the 80s to now is it's a totally different ball game the athleticism the enormous abilities that these players have is just phenomenal I mean it's not a different sport but it has evolved a hell of a lot and what these guys can do with the ball you know which is also partly to do with equipment you know string and rackets and that has helped but it's also the way they train I mean the, the strength and the uh Uh, flexibility and everything that these players can bring to the court now is on another level to what it was in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Sports science was only really getting going in the early 80s and in the last, you know, 30 years it has come on leaps and bounds. And then, you know, the other thing is the advent of the internet has made it possible for anybody to see some really good stuff and imitate it. So, uh, you know, I'd say the general level in tennis all around the world has gotten higher. You mentioned when we first started chatting about the phrase mindset. Is mindset now in professional tennis one of the premier pillars of the game or is it just pure talent? I think at every level, it all comes down pretty much to mindset. Sure, I mean, I think a player who has a very good mind will do better than a more talented player who's a little flaky in the head. So mindset, yes, has a huge bearing. I'm not saying that talent isn't a big part of it because it clearly is, but talent without the mindset is not going to beat a mindset with less talent. And finally, because I know that you're a busy guy today, it's today Banja Luka. There are other tournaments. 
planned. The season for you takes over your whole life. You're always traveling, lots of work with your player. And everybody says it takes a toll on the player. But I'm thinking this takes maybe more of a toll on the coach. Well, I think it depends how you look at things. I mean, there's no question that there are choices you make as a, as a person. And I've made the choice to stay in the coaching business and, and do the travel and, and work with high performance players. But I don't really see it as a sacrifice because it's something that I really enjoy doing. Certainly, you know, for my family, I have to be aware that I've got to, you know, make sure that there are breaks and gaps. And in those gaps, I give them the attention that they deserve and make sure that I make it that we have good holidays and, and make things really good when I'm at home or when I'm away on, on holiday with my wife and then I've got grandkids as well. So, you know, it, it is a juggling act, but I think for me it's worth it. For some people it wouldn't be worth it. I really enjoy the, the process of trying to make progress with a player. And what I would say in terms of mindset, mindset is a choice. And, you know, I'd say to the people of Banjaluka, you've got an event here, which nobody would have thought is possible, but it's here. And it doesn't matter where you are and where you come from. If you determine to do something and just keep chipping away at it, things happen. You might not get everything that you wish for, and that's certainly the case in pretty much everybody's life. But if you go after something, you will learn things along the way that will help you whether you achieve it or not. And I think I've, I try to always stress with players is nobody knows how far you're going to get. But if you just work at it, the life that it brings you is actually more important than you know exactly how high you get and I think you know when you start off as a young player or a young person in anything that you do don't allow people to smash your dream but don't feel like you have to achieve everything that you dream for it to be worthwhile it is worthwhile just going after something because avenues open up when you focus on something things happen when you focus on something and a lot of that stuff can be really good. And of course, the stuff that is difficult, you learn from. And I think, you know, this tournament is a fantastic example of a place that you would never expect something like this to happen, happening. And I'm sure the people behind the scenes have been working for a long time to get something like this here. And maybe they got a bit of luck. Maybe, you know, who knows what happened to put it together. But if nobody's working at it, it would never happen. And I just think it's fantastic for a place like this to have achieved something like this. There's a lot of very good tennis players who've shown up to show that it's been worthwhile. That's me talking to David Samuel about life as an ATP coach. I hope you found it interesting, and if you did, please do leave a review, as it really does help for the podcast to grow. And also, maybe you might consider subscribing to my blog. The link is in the show notes. Thanks in advance. That's it for this episode. I have loads more episodes planned for this year. But in the meantime, please do stay safe wherever you're listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. for listening to our podcast if you would like to support us and the production of future episodes then please consider maybe buying us a coffee the link to do that is in the show notes for this podcast thanks again and see you next time